Remote learning is on topic with IU. I'm Kenny Smith with the Media School at Indiana University Bloomington, and today I'm speaking with Ben Motes, who is a research scientist in the Department of Psychological and Brain Science at Indiana University. Ben, thanks for joining us. It's really my pleasure. You've been working this spring and in the early summer considering the impact of remote instruction in the college classroom after coronavirus lockdowns. Give us a thumbnail sketch on what you and your many colleagues are doing on this large study. I think that we all acknowledged that we were about to do something relatively unprecedented back in March of 2020. And this huge, you know, international shift from face-to-face classrooms to online learning um, was something that would, you know, we'd, we'd never done before and that would yield problems and that people might need to know what those problems might have been. So, yeah, we immediately embarked to put together a really large-scale study to assess what happens, what students and instructors' experiences were during this transition and what they predicted their, the outcomes would be given this transition to remote instruction. So, um, yeah, we kind of had the foresight that right about now in, in the country, people would be preparing their fall semester classes, not really knowing what things would be what, what the structure of those classes would be, what the modifications of those classes would be, and that we might have a knowledge gap with respect to understanding what went right and what went wrong in spring 2020. So we, we set out to conduct a study to fill that knowledge gap. At least the working title, you're calling this a mega study, which is kind of interesting to me already. Uh, <laughs> as, as a part of the research, there's a big scale and scope that you and your colleagues are working on here. It's true, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't have anything wrong with small-scale studies. I think well-designed and very targeted small-scale studies can be very effective to answering specific questions. But in this particular case, we did not even have any single specific question. We wanted to cast an extremely wide net to better understand what problems might be out there. Um, and we understood that some of these problems might be relatively isolated to unique populations, whether it's populations that, um, yeah, I don't know, might be in different corners of the university or populations that you really would only be able to detect if you had uh, a very large sample. So, yeah, in this particular case, we've succeeded at banding together with The Ohio State University, where both of our systems, so multiple campuses in both Indiana University and The Ohio State University, are um, yeah, sampling our, our full populations of students and their, and their instructors to better understand this, this transition from spring 2020. So a lot of universities, a lot of different campuses, a lot of different styles of classes. And I assume that that presents some similar difficulties, but also different difficulties as well for both students and faculty involved. So we'll come right to it. What kind of insights are you uncovering so far in this research? Yeah, one of the things that is worth kind of starting out with is to acknowledge that what happened in spring 2020 was very somber. So like, Nobody really wanted this to happen, and this pandemic is a is a huge nationwide crisis, an international crisis. And um, the yeah, the the first observation is that all sorts of negative outcomes happened. That's not to say that there weren't hero stories. So many instructors did rise to the challenge, and many students found took the opportunity to explore new ways of personal development and to improve their learning. But really, this was the, the, the story that we've, that we've been starting to distill is a relatively sad story. And that's feelings of strong isolation and, um, yeah, in separation from academic communities. Um, and, yeah, these are, these are things that I think normal university communities would be able to address. But, yeah, given that the university community was kind of torn apart by um, campus closures, 
yeah, there, there, there was this big challenge of students kind of feeling adrift, even though um, their instructors were still trying to provide the classes. And I imagine that sense of isolation goes not just to the students, but also faculty as well. There's impacts personal, and, and sometimes that can seep into the professional too. No kidding. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we kept seeing on the instructional side is that just the same as how students were kind of torn apart from their support groups. Faculty were asked to do this massive, um, you know, like contortion act where they suddenly take all their materials and put it online. And they did this while they were, you know, not allowed to go back in the building. So, uh, yeah, whereas many times faculty would find comfort in an instructional community or in an academic community where they could talk about different strategies with their colleagues, many faculty were working in the same isolation that students were working in. And yeah, in, in response to open-ended comments on, I'm sorry, open-ended questions on our survey. Yeah. Many times they would say, man, I really, um, I really could have used the support of, of what other people were doing and to better understand the lay of the land in terms of what was working. This is one of those things we can reason our way into. I think the change in the spring so abrupt, it makes sense if some classes are impacted in a negative sort of way. But now, at least one rationale might go. If instructors have this extra time to prepare for a remote learning class in the fall, that should be a better experience. Does that idea, or even just the sentiment behind it, does that track with the data you're beginning to see? Very much so, yeah. Um, so one of the things that I think is a, is a strong concern among students uh, voiced during spring 2020 is that none of this was expected. Um, so they would have been able to prepare, for example, a student who, you know, had to go home to a different time zone was now expected to, you know, participate perhaps in, an, in a synchronous class that, you know, wound up maybe being at like 5 a.m. or something in the time zone where they happen to be. So now that we're entering into the fall 2020 semester and the registrar has now updated all of the, um, the course listings, students can be more aware of what the expectations will be for their participation in the class going in. And I think that that'll address a large part of the, the problem. Um, another example of this is with technology access. So if a student knows that there will be synchronous elements and they don't have, you know, at home, robust, high speed Internet, then maybe that's going to be a problem that they should switch classes or do something to address this. Um, I, again, because maybe the there's there's alternatives that they might be able to pursue that would make it a little bit easier. So, yeah, I think a big part of the problem in spring 2020 was that people were generally unprepared, which is saying something because, you know, from discussions with other universities, not just Ohio State, Indiana University as a system was spectacularly prepared. So, um, yeah, I think that we've we still had a lot of ways to go and just knowing what people are getting into in the fall will be a, a big boon. Yours is a mixed method study, so I'm sure you're getting some key feedback. What are you and your colleagues learning in a more qualitative sense? So, yes, the the closed-ended questions like Likert-scale questions, those give us a, a, a rough flavor for what the um, concerns and trends are at a population scale. But um, open-ended responses to, um, you know, open-ended questions like what was your biggest concern are really illuminating and demonstrative of the severe challenges that students had. Um, so we've seen instructors describe how in synchronous Zoom sessions, students were openly crying to their classmates about the challenges that they were experiencing, um, trying to juggle coursework and home life and jobs and sometimes illness. Um, students actually, uh, they, they were very concerned with mental health. Um, so this was something that 
generally, again, I mentioned nobody wanted this transition to remote instruction. And when jettisoned from your support networks, especially for particularly sensitive populations, the experience was um, very anxiety provoking. So, yeah, qualitatively, I think that the these stories of how the, the coronavirus affected individuals in terms of how they engaged with schoolwork and how they saw themselves as a student were, were I don't know, the, the right way to say it is that it was sad. Um, so, yeah, I feel a great deal of responsibility having been the person that's collected this data to get it out to the university community so that they're more aware of um, how they can prevent these types of negative outcomes in the fall. As we understand it today, what are some of the perceived strengths of remote instruction? We refer to remote instruction as being kind of like this crisis state where people took face-to-face teaching and transitioned it to remote instruction. Um, that's perhaps um, important to point out as being different from online teaching, which is much more intentional and starts from the perspective of the online channel as being the vehicle whereby students would learn. And yeah, there are certain advantages to online learning. Um, many of the advantages that are more specific to the student experience include that it's oftentimes more active. It provides uh, flexibility, not just in terms of how students might engage with the material in their own in their own ways, but also with their own personal lives. So online learning is especially popular among people who are what you might call non-traditional students. Um, that said, there are, you know, a set of challenges with online learning and the transition to remote instruction might have exacerbated some of these challenges, like the communication becomes a little bit more difficult. Um, there are more deadlines that students are autonomously expected to keep track of for themselves. Um, so yeah, there's these trade-offs with, with respect to, okay, you get some added flexibility, but there's still a lot more responsibility that gets placed onto the student. Um, and yeah, in its best, then there's a lot of support. There's a lot of intentional design. There's a lot of, um, ways that a student could stay active in the course. Um, and yeah, I think that that all takes time. And many of those, um, ideals were in short supply during the spring 2020 semester. And among the weaknesses, a term I've heard a fair amount from our colleagues on the instructor side is how flat a virtual classroom, a Zoom interface can be, particularly if you apply that to a class that you might typically be more interactive with your students. So are students having the same kind of experience? And if so, how do we work around this impression and this feeling? I think that there's a lot of ways that an online course could still yet provide the types of support that students um, might not have been even known that they would need from courses given the, you know, the transition to remote instruction. So, um, yeah, to give you some background here, I think that uh, there's a lot of support that comes through the university community, whether it's through somebody's residence halls or through the study groups that they formed in their freshman year or a number of different community types of things. Um, and a lot of these communities were, again, kind of like dispersed and became very difficult for them to maintain. And in this regard, a uh, course was the primary lifeline between a student and the university. Normally, you know, I say this perhaps as a teacher myself, I would not have put responsibility on myself as a teacher to be the lifeline to the university. Um, I'm usually a domain expert. I, I'm, I'm the expert on content and I'm there to help students achieve learning outcomes in my own academic field. Oftentimes that's not for the purpose of like, yeah, making them feel a sense of belonging at Indian University. But once we went pure, entirely online and remote, that all changed and instructors felt suddenly, suddenly were kind of cast as the ways that students would stay in touch with the university. 
So in fall, the thing that I would recommend is to kind of uh, understand that this is a new responsibility from an instructional perspective that um, goes beyond what normally instructors would be expected to do. That is to say that maybe there's new opportunities for instructors to provide um, collaborative learning exercises for students so that they can interact with their peers, again, to prevent that feeling of isolation that might happen if they were otherwise only enrolled in online courses. Um, another thing that's also worth saying is that um, instructors probably should see themselves as being more receptive to participation on the students' part. Um, in the spring 2020, what happened, I think, was most instructors who were teaching face-to-face -face courses felt like they needed to um, transition all of their materials online and to provide the same exact materials that they would have otherwise given if it was a face-to-face -face class. And in that regard, courses became kind of like one-way streets from the teacher to the student. And I do not begrudge faculty for this. They, this is something, again, this was a challenge. And just to be able to perform that con contortion, I guess is the word I use, just to be able to perform that would have been extremely difficult. But one of the things that went wrong with that is that students might have yet felt more isolated, like they were just receiving information instead of participating in a class. So again, in fall, in addition to providing collaborative activities, if there are ways that um, instructors can make it so that students are more active and engaged in their studies um, in a way that perhaps even provides new opportunities for them to communicate with their teachers. These are the types of things that I think are really big opportunities for the fall. Are there other weaknesses about remote instruction that people are identifying in your study? <laughs> so the, the big weakness is that there, there was also a global pandemic happening. Mm -hmm. So um, it, again, in the best of times, there's really intentional and flexible online learning. But um, this is challenged also by the broader context of how society is running. So, um, yeah, I, I have a great deal of sympathy for the weaknesses that were just because of the state that we were in. So people who, you know, had to compete with their siblings back at home for Wi-Fi access because the grade schools were also shut down. And, the you know, the, the Zoom meetings that they had to have with their teachers were um, impacted by the fact that, you know, you've got a kid who's also watching Netflix in the room next door or something. Um, so the, these, these challenges, I think maybe the right way to say it is that they were exacerbated by the fact that um, everything was thrown awry. So a big weakness was also that society wasn't functioning the way that it ought to have. I've heard a piece suggesting it's a 200-hour prep to put a class in, in a virtual setting. It gets tricky to a degree when you're reshaping a class, as we did in the spring, that you might normally offer in a more traditional style. How difficult is it then if you've been tasked to do both, meaning either offering a hybrid style classroom or a plan A and a plan B kind of concept? Yeah, um, I can't I can't underscore the difficulty of this. So speaking as somebody who prepped uh, a really large online course uh, and I've, I've been teaching it for five years, the the amount of time that, that went into designing it was really spectacular. So, um, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for, yeah, how again, how different what happened in spring would have been from normal, normal state and normal practice normal practice being something that was very intentional and effortful on the instructional side. There are a lot of instructors, I imagine, who would be interested in your findings. If you had to offer up a few key takeaways at a faculty meeting, for example, what would your study say? This is something we've been very um, interested in, in um, promoting. So again, not because I think that there's any like gl glistening outcomes that we can point to, but because there's a lot to be said for 
giving some sort of information in this particular moment as instructors are putting their courses together. And I think that our survey does point to some key recommendations. So the first is that instructors might be interested and might actually get more mileage from fewer assignments that are more judiciously assigned and that are more intentional and more transparent because of their learning outcomes. One of the things that students complained about a lot in the survey, and I think that their complaints were warranted, was that there was a lot of busy work. So, um, you know, if one, if one course, um, you know, takes all of the lectures and turns it into assignments where students are expected to watch a video and read some stuff and then fill out the assignments, that could be, a, I don't know, a doubling of the number of assignments just for that course. And if you multiply that by a five-course uh, semester of enrollment, then, yeah, you've got a huge quantity of work to keep track of. And that on its own can be extremely stressful and might even un undercut the potential benefit of these assignments. So, yeah, one big recommendation is that instructors should be judicious in, their, in what they ask students to do because, yeah, um, students are under more pressure perhaps than any single instructor would be aware of. A second big recommendation is to um, make sure that there are channels whereby students can be in touch with their instructors. So again, I mentioned previously that instructors might view their courses as being kind of like one-way streets and um, providing students who might not be so comfortable reaching out to their instructors via email, special instruction on how to contact them if they're having trouble or how to, how to seek support might be especially interesting. The third instruction, as I mentioned before also, or the third recommendation, as I mentioned before, is that people should try to find ways of supporting collaborative learning activities in their courses, again, to help to mitigate that feeling of isolation among students. You know, if dorm rooms are going to be singles and if there are going to be difficulties for students to interact socially because of physical distancing requirements, um, I think that it would be great if courses could do what they could to help students interact with one another. Um, the experience of college shouldn't be isolating. It should be something where students get exposure to other ways of thinking. And this might be something that courses are especially responsible for in the fall semester. Um, and the last one, this is more of a you know, uh, <laughs> piece of advice specific to instructors, is that instructors should work together. Um, so in the same way that I think that there's a lot of value to students collaborating in courses, um, if there were more opportunities for instructors to reach out to one another and ask what has worked in their courses or what hasn't worked in their courses, you know, I don't actually think that, I don't like the word best practices. I don't know that we actually know what a best practice is in remote instruction or online learning for that matter. But I think that we could do a lot better if we shared what successes we do have. And if there are activities that are especially effective or ways of organizing discussions that are especially effective, these should be promoted across instructors. What do students want their instructors to hear in this context? These recommendations, again, um, that instructors might be better served by assigning coursework very judiciously and intentionally, being transparent about their learning outcomes, that instructors might set up new channels and new ways that students can be in touch with their teachers, that instructors might w create ways that students could collaborate more effectively with one another, that these are all kind of the same things that students were uh, advocating for on their own behalf in the survey. You touched on the mental health of students earlier, but let's revisit this just for a moment with the insight you're gleaning. There are other surveys out there addressing these concerns. It's a very real concern. From your perspective, then, how can instructors address this in their classrooms, knowing it often isn't their field? How do they offer this empathy or other resources that are available from their university to the students? Excellent question. Yeah, so I would not ask any instructor to wear the hat of a, of a psychologist or a counselor or a therapist. 
But I would say that instructors, again, are playing a much more active role in being the ambassadors of a university and kind of the ambassadors of a student support network in the context of online learning than they normally would be accustomed to. There's a lot to be said simply for being available and simply for listening. And I think that to the extent that I can identify just one thing that an instructor might be interested to do to support students' mental health, it would be to do that. That might mean doing things that are awkward. In fact, one of the examples that that came up actually kind of frequently in students' open-ended comments is that when instructors who had synchronous like Zoom meetings in class, when they started class with just check-ins, so talking with students for the first 10 minutes of the Zoom session about what they're going through, how they're feeling, what their current state is, students felt a great deal more support a great deal more connection to the academic community and curiously better um, self-reported academic outcomes from those experiences. So yeah, I think that there's opportunities for instructors to be more than what they typically are, the domain experts. And that really just starts by being a, being a listener. Ben Motes from the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at Indiana University. Thank you for joining us today, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And we thank you for listening as well. For more information, follow us on social media. On Topic with IU is on Facebook and Twitter. You can subscribe and download this podcast from services like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Just search On Topic with IU on your favorite podcast provider. And on social media, be sure to search the hashtag InThisTogether to stay up to date on the broader statewide campaign. For On Topic with IU, I'm Kenny Smith.